welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Thank you to the generous underwriters of Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. And Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Tuesday, August 8th, we are studying Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 16 through chapter 4, verse 3. In today's text, Solomon laments the wickedness that invades even the place of justice and righteousness, and Solomon also speaks in very stark terms concerning the reality of death. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Doug Gribbenau. Pastor Gribbenau serves as mission advocate for KFUO Radio in St. Louis, Missouri. Pastor Gribbenau, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Well, thank you, brother, and and thank you, brothers and sisters, for having me back for more sharpening of the iron. Amen. (laughs) So, Pastor Gribbenau, we get to talk to we get to talk about the Book of Ecclesiastes today. Talk to us a little bit about this book in general. It's certainly a a unique one within the Scriptures. Well, it really is. This is uh, this is sort of the Debbie Downer phase of King Solomon, and uh, I, I, you know, really, I think what encapsulates it is is the very beginning. And let not let's not begin, you know, forget the end. But uh, you'll get to that in a few weeks. Yeah. You know, vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Of course, the Hebrew word used there for vanities, you know, vapor of breath. This this side of glory where we live is is but a, a passing moment. Uh, it's it's a it's a vapor. It is uh, temporal, and it's not the end of of all things. Even though we deal with our struggles in our life uh, and the struggles in the world, when we see this whole of creation beset by original sin, by the actual sins that people are committing, it, it weighs us down. It can cause us great distress. And we might even begin to feel that this is, ju- this is all. This is all of it. What is, what is life but just this constant struggle and death until you die? And that's really sort of where Solomon has come in this book. But it's really a, a, a diagnostic for us to have the right perspective. You know, if we're always burying our, our face into the earth, well, that's all we see. That's all we consider. That's all we meditate on. And really, the point is for us is to lift our eyes, lift our eyes up from the dirt, from the muck, the mire of this world, to see the glories of our crucified, resurrected, and ascended Lord to lift our eyes to the cross, that tree of life, that is the telos, that is the end. That is the goal, as you know, St. Paul liked to say, right? Running that race. So it's a right perspective. And to turn away from the temptations of the daily world, temptations and sins and pleasures and toil and pain, and to put ourselves in the right place. That is, as those who were redeemed by, by our Lord Jesus Christ and called out of this darkness, the word of the gospel into his marvelous light. And then we can see aright. And we are no longer confessing or, or saying aloud, vanity of vanities, all is vanities. Instead, we are saying, Kyrie eleison. 
You've used a number of words that other guests have have brought up. The matter of perspective, and the the word vanity, as you said, is is really sets the tone there at the beginning of the book. It shows up throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. Another phrase that Solomon loves to use in this book is the matter of life under the sun. And I think when you're talking about perspective there, you're hinting at some of those things that Solomon is very much describing what life is like under the sun. One of the realities that we see throughout the rest of Scripture is that God invites us to have a perspective of what life is like from above the sun, from from his perspective. And that really is one of the or keys to understanding. we might say under the sun, S-O-N. That's right? the other one. That's, yep. that's the right perspective. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Either either thinking of it from God's perspective above the sun, or as you said, life under the S-O-N, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Both of those are, are key for understanding the book of Ecclesiastes and, and receiving it rightly as Christians in its place, because it certainly does have a place. Now, Pastor Gribben, I know that you, in addition to working as a, a mission advocate for KFUO, you also do the afternoon music block, right? I do. I, I, I took a hint from the Germans. I just called the thing what it is. It, it is the afternoon music block, because it's a good. bunch of music in the afternoon, and I like that. <laughs> it's, so, it's a but, kitschy little thing. The reason the reason I bring that up is because I think sometimes you'll you'll bring up the scripture passages that the music that you're you're playing is based on. So I'm curious if you've if you've announced any any texts from those hymns songs that you play that are from Ecclesiastes. If you remember any off the top of your head, off the top of my head, no. I uh, I, I do appreciate that the editors of the Lutheran Service Book included some of the scriptural references in the bottom of the page. But you know, it's interesting that you bring this up. Because one hymn really stood out in my mind as I was reading through this, this section from Ecclesiastes, uh, chapter 3, verse 16 through 4, verse 3. And I kept coming back in my mind to hymn 644, the church's one foundation, right? The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord, right? And thinking of, of uh, stanza 3, though with a scornful wonder, the world sees her, that is the church, oppressed by schisms rent asunder, by heresies distressed. Yet saints their watch are keeping, their cry goes up, how long? And soon the night of weeping shall be the morn of song. I thought that was a really sort of fitting um, paraphrase, if you will, of the whole of the book of Ecclesiastes. So thanks for bringing that up. Yeah, hymn 644 in the Lutheran service book, The Church's One Foundation. Sure. Yeah, and there's there's a number of hymns that, although maybe Ecclesiastes is not going to be referenced in the scripture passages that are down there at the bottom, we can we can look to and we see the the reflections on what Ecclesiastes talks about. There are some hymns that do outright quote from Ecclesiastes. Perhaps the the most obvious one, as you're looking in those verses, is the one by Pastor Stephen Starkey which is, I'm flipping to it right now, I believe it's number 762. We looked at it yesterday with the chapter 3. Yeah, 762, there is a time for everything, is very plainly based on Ecclesiastes 3. Uh, but other hymns, as you said, will cause us to reflect on these words and to see them in that that proper light. So we'll keep that stanza, stanza 3 from the Church's One Foundation in our minds as we take a look at the text. Any more introductory comments before we jump into Ecclesiastes? I think let, let's let's get on with uh, with the study. Amen. All right. So this is Ecclesiastes be, chapter three, beginning at verse sixteen. You know what, brother? Actually, oh, though, sure. um, Go let's ahead. begin with a word of prayer, uh, if we might. Yeah, absolutely. Let's uh, let's again turn. Gracious Lord, Heavenly Father, 
In you we live, move, and have our being. You have sent forth your Son to join with creation, to bear our sins, to be our Savior, to carry us with him by the waters of holy baptism into his death and joining us then with his resurrection. By your word and your promise, your Spirit has called us out of darkness and into the marvelous light of your Son. Enliven our study of your holy word this day, that we might be edified, that our faith strengthened, and that our courage to confess Christ before the world may be emboldened. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. We turn to the text, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, beginning at verse 16. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness, and in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man, that God is testing them, that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beasts, for all is vanity. All go to one place, all are from the dust, and to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth? So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun, and behold the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the other side of their oppressors there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. And I thought, the dead who are already dead more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been, and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun." That's our text for today. That is Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 16, through chapter 4, verse 3. Pastor Gribbenot, talk to us about what Solomon is observing in that first verse. He talks about wickedness, both in the place of justice and the place of righteousness. What's he observing here? He's evaluating and, and quite honestly, seeing the effects of the fall in the in the place of justice where the, the kings, the rulers, the judges who are established by the Lord and put in these positions to care for the weak, uh, to, to render a right judgment against those who have been wronged, well, in this, this side of glory, under, this, under the sun, the earthly sun, it does not happen. And we know this to be true by our own experience, by reading history, that we do not often feel perhaps that we get justice when we have been wronged, that those rulers of this world often seek their own gain instead of the service of those that the Lord has entrusted to them. But so also then in, in our religious spheres as well, in the place of righteousness, in the place where, where God's people are to dwell, it is not without, uh, as you, you know, we heard a couple weeks back, without the weeds among uh, the wheat, the tares and the wheat. It is this fallen world, and you have false teachers, uh, false kings, false judges. I think actually also of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? 
seized by the council, uh, taken to Caiaphas, the high priest, scribes and the elders gathered there and rendered their, their judgment against the Messiah and then delivered him up to, well, to Pontius Pilate. So in both the place of righteousness and the place of justice, our Lord did not find it. And, and he did so for our sake, because it is by that suffering and enduring the, the effects of this world that he was then delivered to the cross, where he delivers us then from sin, from death, and from the power of the devil. So, Pastor Gribben, I'm, I'm curious, because what you, what you're, I want to make sure I'm, I'm hearing you correctly, because this was something that I was reflecting on with this verse in particular, that mm -hmm. Solomon mentions both the place of justice and the place of righteousness, and in both places there is this wickedness or this injustice. You're taking those to be two separate places, right? So the place of justice would be more the, maybe if we can put it this way, God's left-hand kingdom, that is the way that he wields power through earthly governments, there is wickedness evident there, and there's also wickedness among those who are in the God's right-hand kingdom, that is, within his, his church, people are sinners there, and so there's, there's wickedness evident even among those. You're taking those as, as two separate places? Is that, is that the way you're taking it? I, I am, and I'm really actually taking them as, as two sorts of extremes, meant sure. to encompass all of creation, every, okay. every experience in this fallen life, no matter which portion of the world you are engaged in is beset by the fall and by the uh, by the taint of original sin. Sure. Okay. And and I think I think that's helpful because I was I was as again as I was reflecting on that I was wondering if maybe that's meant to be one place because in the Old Testament especially you have justice and righteousness paired together that God is looking for both. But I my reflections were more along your lines that that is wherever God has placed us whether it is in the secular realm and the justice that we expect there from, say, the courts, or in the, the churchly realm and the righteousness that we expect to receive from God's own people, in either place there's going to be wickedness. And I suppose, as, as Solomon puts those two places particularly in our view, those are the places from an earthly perspective under the sun where you are most expecting there not to be this wickedness or this injustice. You know, I go to court. You know, that's a good observation. Go These are the places where we go to find what we would say, you know, the truth, the righteous, the right thing. This is this should be the one place at least where things are going to work out right. And this under the sun, it, it is not always the case. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and I as you pointed out, we can look at history we can look at our own lives, and we can see the same thing that Solomon does, that in those places where we most expect there to be justice and righteousness, there we still find wickedness, we find corruption, we find injustice. And so Solomon sees this reality that we still see today. Now, he begins to reflect on this in verse 17, and he says in his heart, that's what he says in verse 17, and then he'll say the same thing in verse 18. Talk to us about verse 17. What, is, what does Solomon reflect on in terms of this reality of seeing wickedness in both the place of justice and righteousness? Well, he really puts into perspective that, and again, calling us out of, this is not the end of things. This is not the end-all, be-all. There is the one who has established justice and the one who has established righteousness. And, and really, more than that, the one from whom these things are known because they are his, his ontology, 
God is infinitely just. He is infinitely righteous. We know these things only as reflections of the purity of those ideals that are who God is. And God is going to be the one to judge and the one who is in righteousness going to be, well, going to be merciful and grace, gracious, because there is a time for every matter and for every work. And so, you know, we, we hear a little later in, in Ecclesiastes, uh, in chapter 12, God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. And this is really the perspective then of the end times judge of, of our ascended Lord Christ Jesus seated at the right hand of God. And on that last day, the alien work of our Redeemer is to be the end time judge who will then separate from the, the wheat and the, and the chaff, the, the goats and the sheep. And the, the judges in this earthly world have a judge that stands above them. The ones who stand in the place of righteousness have the one in whose stead they are to be standing. Right? You know, the uh, pastor is the under-shepherd of our Lord Jesus Christ. The earthly judge is, is the one who has been established by the end-time judge. And so this is, you know, in a sense, we could say this almost as a kind of a uh, well, you know what, they're going to get what's due them, right? You can have that sort of wicked perspective of like, well, at least, uh, you know, I'll get my, I'll get even at the end. Uh, but really, it should be more of a sober perspective that uh, that each and every one of us, um, you know, great or small, uh, you know, wonderfully holy in the eyes of the world or, or you know, just a poor, miserable sinner, we each stand before the one uh, who judges the heaven and the earth. And, and, and before him, um, we, are, we are equal. Hmm. So uh, especially then for those who have those places of authority given to them by God in the place of justice in the secular realm or in the place of righteousness within the church, what Solomon says here in verse 17, that there is a time for God's judgment, that should be a sober warning to us to seek out faithfulness in that authority that God has given to us. Absolutely true. And, and in fact, there is a greater, um, a greater judgment on those who have been entrusted to execute these things. Uh, there is a, a certain higher standard uh, that even we this, in this earthly realm see. A judge should be uh, learned and wise and patient and, uh, and, and intelligent. A pastor should be learned and wise and merciful, apt to teach, right? We even have a whole section of qualifications for pastors that are illuminated in Scripture. Uh, but to those put, especially in these positions, uh, there is a greater accountability because of the really the trust that the Lord has put in them and in establishing these offices. Hmm. And, and, then, and not just them, we'll but you know, in each of our vocations in life, there is there are these certain... Um, understandings, you know, fathers and mothers, uh, teachers, and, uh, and no matter who you are, you know, visit back to that uh, table of duties in our small catechism. Uh, there is the one who will judge in each in each case. Absolutely, and I think then from the perspective of those who are observing the injustice and the wickedness, and and this is maybe thinking forward a little bit to where we'll go when we get into chapter four, but to those who are on the receiving end of that injustice. There is a matter of comfort to know that God will bring justice in the end, not in a sense that we gloat over those 
who have na- who are now executing injustice and will receive the the fruit of that on the last day. We don't rejoice in that that they sort of get it. But there is a, a comfort to know that God is not like those who are bringing injustice or wickedness and that when the last day comes he will judge in righteousness and injustice truly. And even now, you know, the uh the, the saints who have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb, they stand underneath the throne saying, how long? Uh, and our Lord is patient for the purpose that, that you know, every sinner may be called to repentance. Uh, he desires not the death of the sinner. But in his patience, though, our perspective sometimes seems as if, as if he doesn't care, as if he's not there, uh, because he is waiting. And in, and in the right time, the final day shall come. Uh, but until then, we continue to cry to him and ask, you know, how long? And we, we make our needs and petitions known to him, but we trust that uh, that his good and gracious will is going to be completed uh, in his right time. Yeah, and I think I'm glad you brought up the, the matter of the right time, because the way that Solomon speaks here in, in verse 17 of chapter 3, I think, is meant to recall that perhaps more famous text from earlier in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, that there is a time for everything this matter of God's judgment is a part of his appointed time. And so not only the fact that it is coming, but it's going to happen in the appointed time God has given, that also brings comfort to us. Amen. Amen. Now, so Solomon says this in his heart, in verse 17, that God will judge the righteous and the wicked. There is a time for every matter and for every work. And then he says something else in his heart, beginning in verse 18. And this is where the the text, at least for me, becomes a little more... I don't know what's the right word. It's different. This is this is not maybe what I was expecting to, to start reading here in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. So, I said in my heart, with regard to the children of man, that God is testing them, that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. And he's going to develop that thought throughout the rest of chapter 3. Help us to get started on what Solomon's saying here in verse 18. You know, when he's saying this, this again is, is Solomon, who... Uh, is, is famously, outside of Christ, the wisest person in Holy Scripture, right? <laughs> and so he's saying in his heart, this is a deep truth that he is establishing, right? And he's preaching it out to, to the people of Israel. I said in my heart, with regard to the children of man, that God is testing them. And, and we maybe have a poor uh, perception of that word in English, uh, maybe because you know we we went through schools and we didn't like testing all the time, uh, but it's really it's it is very much the point of this testing. Uh, my father was a public school teacher. You gave tests not always to to you know, establish that grade and say, well, do they know this or not? Sometimes my father, and he did this even with me, would give me tests. He would test me so that I would know that I understood the material, that I would have a clarity about this. And that's really what this word is. It's, it's not a, a testing, does God really know? He's going to find out, as much as he's making it evident to us. This is instructive. There's no trickery involved here. He's instructing us that we might see with sober judgment that, that we are not um, you know, the end-all be-all. We should think with, as you know, St. Paul says, you know, with sober judgment, not thinking too highly among ourselves, more highly than we ought to, right? And so he's making it evident to us that we have, at least from the perspective of the world, nothing different than any other animal, beast, or creature. All of creation has been subjected to futility. 
everyone dies, everything falls apart. And that's the groaning that we are going through until the second coming. And so we, we, we really put ourselves there to say, you know, there's nothing particularly different per se in this, under the sun, this perspective uh, between us or anything else. Everyone is going to die. There is a, a time and a season for all things, to be born, to live, to die, as he said in the last chapter. And, and so think with sober judgment you know, that, that there is coming a day and a time when the Lord will call you home. And it will happen uh, no matter what. Uh, I know teenagers, right, they sort of think that they're almost sort of uh, immortal. That's why they do such reckless things. And you get a little bit older on and you're sitting there going, well, golly, Lord, I think I'm done here. Are you ready to, ready to call me home? But there is that time, and it will be coming. Um, and, it, you know, it's the Lord who kills and makes alive. And so we, we know that and trust, really, that it is, is in his time. And he has shown us that, that our, our end is going to be, you know, really, from the earthly perspective, the same as everything else. And that's where he picks up with verse 19. Sure, right, and that's where he keeps talking about the the matter of the beasts. Before we before we get there, which I think we'll pick up on the other side yeah. of the break, just that that thought of God testing. I think the way you explained it is very helpful. And, and when God tests in that way to show us what we you know what we do know, He also shows us what we don't know, and and He you know, He tests things or He helps us to test so that we see what lasts and what doesn't. Almost in the way that you know metal is tested. I think that can be a part of this this testing that happens too, that that God shows us or helps us to see what what is real and lasting and what's a solid foundation and what's not. And I think that's that's part of the testing going on as well. Amen. And you know, somewhere else in Ecclesiastes, because I, I did a full read through and I can't remember exactly where it was, uh, but he was making this comparison about the things that man does are temporary, but what God does is eternal. And that's really, I think, yeah, what this testing, what this making evident, instructive sort of teaching is meant to show, that his works endure forever. That's right. That's right. We'll see more of that in the book of Ecclesiastes. We'll pick up more of these thoughts on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. We're talking to Pastor Doug Gribbenaw this morning about Ecclesiastes 3 and 4. We will be right back. Please stick around. Lutheran Church Extension Fund exists to support Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and church workers. How do we do this? Your investment with LCEF makes it possible for LCMS churches, schools, organizations, and church workers to receive low-cost loans for new and growing ministries. And faithful Lutherans like you, church members and church workers alike, make that possible when you invest with LCEF. Learn more at lcef.org. LCF is a nonprofit religious organization. Therefore, LCF investments are not FDIC insured bank deposit accounts. This is not an offer to sell investments or solicitation to buy. LCF will offer and sell its securities only in states where authorized. The offer is made solely by LCF's offering circular. Investors should carefully read the offering circular, which more fully describes associated risks.
Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Tuesday, August 8th. We're studying Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 16 through chapter 4, verse 3 with Pastor Doug Gribbenau. He serves as mission advocate for KFUO Radio in St. Louis, Missouri. Pastor Gribbenau, prior to the break, we were looking at what Solomon has said in his heart regarding God testing the children of man, helping us to see, as he says, that they themselves are but beasts. And as you you said, we are talking about life under the sun here, what is observable to the human eye. That's going to be an important thing for us to realize what Solomon is saying here, and also what he's not saying here, lest we take things too far. So we want to keep that in mind. Take us now into verse 19, where Solomon begins to develop this thought of what it means that God lets us see that we are but beasts. Yeah, he begins you know, with, with really the end of, of 18. Uh, the, the you know the son, that the children of man may see that they are but beasts. And then in verse 19, for what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beasts, for all is vanity. Now really, to tie this back with under the sun, this is the earthly perspective. Um, and And so, you know, they all have the same breath. Not going back to you know the the uh, the spirit that is coming into us, right? Made alive by the by the word of the God, uh, the word of the gospel that that brings us from death into life. But we are each created by God, and our life comes from Him. So they all have the same breath, the same source of of this um, this quickening, if you will, right? Man and beast both created by the Lord. And man has no advantage over the beast. And, and really, the perspective here is in terms of this uh, under the sun eternity. Man is not going to live forever. A beast will die, and so will man. This is under the sun, as we see it with our eyes, with our ears. Uh, the perspective is that people die. And, of course, the worldly perspective is, you know, well, so be it. All right, you, you end your days... You're, you're six feet under. That's the end of it. Why even bother with the six feet under? You know, shoot your ashes off into outer space. Go all these other places. You know, make yourself into an urn for, uh, you know, the family and the grandkids to have you around. Yeah. We do all these sort of strange and silly things because our earthly perspective is that the this mortal flesh is meaningless. And that's really what he's saying, you know. From the way the world looks at it, a man, a beast, a fish, anything, you're all just the same. And we see all those advertisements from PETA, right? <laughs> Don't eat the fish because the fish loves his life as much as you. Well, why, are, why do other fish get to eat other fish? And I don't either. I like fish. But that's that perspective that there is no inherent worth. It's just going to die and, and fall away. Now, we know in the perspective under the S-O-N, under the perspective of Christ, that this body has as immeasurable worth and it will be raised again on the day. And therein, there is a difference between the man and the beast. Uh, because you know, the Lord has put, as, as Scripture says, you know, eternity into our hearts. You know, we have uh, the, that spirit. We are both flesh and spirit, unique among all the things that God has made. And we will endure forever uh, because of our Lord Jesus Christ, raising that body from the dead, joining together our spirit, and then we have true realized eternity on that last day. But from the world's perspective, you know, it, everyone and everything dies. And, uh, you know, 
in Romans chapter 8, creation was subjected to futility with the fall, where there is this corruption, this decay that's going to take place in all places. You know, man, beast, even the, the physical works of the world. And that echoes a lot of what you know, Solomon's going to say in the rest of Ecclesiastes. You do all this stuff, you, you build up these great storehouses, and you never get to enjoy them. You make these great monuments, and there will come a day when the people will forget your name, and the monument will fall apart and be forgotten. And, and so it's that under-the-sun perspective that is total vanity. And under the sun, we are, in that sense, all the same. And again, I think the way that you've laid out that perspective of under the sun, this this life that is observable to the human eye, that's really important as we consider what Solomon is saying here in Ecclesiastes 3, so that we don't go overboard with it and, and forget the perspective of under the sun, the S-O-N, Jesus Christ, that Paul does lay out there in Romans chapter 8. And I think that's a really good text to keep in mind for that perspective, because Paul there does talk about creation groaning, and also even the sons of God who have the indwelling of the Spirit groaning. And so, yes, we are groaning together. There's the perspective of under the sun that Solomon's got here in Ecclesiastes 3. But Paul says, we also have the Spirit who dwells in us. And there's the perspective of the the S-O-N, the heavenly perspective, that we do well to keep in mind, so that we don't you know, use a text like Ecclesiastes 3 and say, well, you know, ah, I'm just the same as, as any old animal. When it comes to the matter of your mortality, yeah, you're a creature just like an animal, you're both going to die. That's Solomon's point. But he's not throwing out what God does in Genesis 1 and 2 in terms of creating man in his own image and breathing his own spirit into him. And again, what Paul lays out in Romans 8, we need to keep these things together and, and see each in its proper place, lest we run the wrong way with all this. And, and that's a great reminder for what he says in verse 20, all go to one place. And, and that's not that, you know, that Solomon is saying everyone's just going to, you, you all go to the same place, you just go down to the dirt and you're done. But what he's saying is you go to that one place, the grave, in this perspective under the sun. You know, it doesn't matter richer or poor, uh, man or beast, you go to the grave, all are from the dust, and to dust all return. And of course, right there, we, we really then think of Ash Wednesday. Yeah. Um, and there's nothing more poignant, uh, especially for a pastor, than to take those ashes on his thumb and put them on the forehead of his own child. Yeah. Remember, O oh man, that thou art dust, and to dust thou shalt return. You, you, my son, you, my daughter, you're going to die. Uh, all, we all go to one place. In that sense, then we are no different than the beasts. All are from dust, and to dust you shall return. This is part of this reality under the sun, S-U-N, that we have been subjected to by the trespass of Adam. You know, by the sweat of your face you will eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Hmm. Yeah. So again, this is all part of the the test that God is is giving to the children of man in verse 18, that we would see these things, that we would remember that we are dust, and to dust we shall return. Then in verse 21, who, who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth? Again, this seems like another verse where we need to keep in mind Solomon is speaking from the perspective of life under the sun, what is observable. 
I remember reading about the uh, the spiritualists in the early 20th century, late 19th century, and there were some experiments that were done on on people who were very near death, uh, weighing them with very precise scales to see if there was an actual weight to the spirit in the body. I mean, so there was a there's this deep fascination of a scientific research, and as we both know. Uh, that there was no perceivable change in the weight as the spirit left. And so under the sun, this earthly perspective, well, who knows, right? Who knows if the spirit of man goes up and the spirit of the beast goes down? We have no idea. And you have no idea because this is, it is quite literally in the best use of the word supernatural. This is a beyond the created things. These are the things of God. Uh, and so man cannot know this in any way outside of the special revelation of Holy Scripture. And that is where we know, we know absolutely, where the spirit of man is going to go and and the spirit of the beast, which is, in this case, that ruach, that breath, right? Just the life. Um, But we know that the enduring spirit of a human person, uh, redeemed by Christ, will ascend. and, And unfortunately, those who reject our Lord and Savior. Well, they go to the place prepared for the devil and his angels. But, uh, but who knows? Well, the short answer for this is the Holy Spirit. Mm. But from the perspective of under the sun, this observable life, Solomon's question is not answerable based on what our eyes can see, and that's that's the point that he's making, at least here in Ecclesiastes three. We want to keep all these other things in mind, as you said. This is a question that we can know the answer to based on God's special revelation to us in his word. But when we're just looking at life around us, and I see that that I die and the animals die, this is a question that I just can't know. And that's what Solomon's getting at when it comes to life. Yeah, by our own reason or strength, this remains outside our knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. So then Solomon comes to a conclusion of sorts in this section then, in verse 22, He says, I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? Why is this? How does Solomon arrive at at verse 22? You know, he sort of tips his hand, I think, and and really puts the perspective backwards. You know, just like the dominoes are falling back. What has he really been talking about? He's been talking about eternity, about man wanting to live forever, Mm -hmm. either by his works or by his will, or by any other means. And it's not. That's not going to happen. The days that you have been appointed by the Lord are the days that you have. And so, instead of striving against the inevitable, you know, instead of railing into the wind, well, what is the best thing? To, To do your lot, right? To do the thing that has been apportioned to you that you should rejoice in your work, the work that you've been given for the time that you have been given, because you have no idea, uh, and you cannot, you know, who can bring him to see what will be after him? We do not know. And over the course and period of time, uh, you know, no one else will really know or possibly even remember. Uh, that's not the important thing. And so this, this man-made sort of enduring uh, immortality is uh, is is a vanity, you know, like men who build huge pillars and statues themselves. You know, uh, they will be forgotten in the time, in the course of history and life. These structures and these things will fall away. 
There is no immortality that man can establish uh, by his reason, by his strength, uh, even by his reputation. Uh, these things are just as temporal as him. So do your work for the time that has been given to you and, and enjoy, really, this is where he says, you know, enjoy the time the Lord has given you and, and do the work that he's set before you. Uh, and, and this sort of thing, this, this as is his lot, right, his portion, his share, it's kind of this, this repeating phrase that Solomon uses in Ecclesiastes. In chapter 2, you know, when he was talking about, you know, my, my heart found pleasure in all my toil, for this was my reward, or the same word that's used here for my lot, right? To his, rejoice in his work, that is his lot. Find enjoyment in all the toil, in, in chapter 5, you know, for this is his lot, Right? Accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. Uh, you know, chapter 5, verse 19. Uh, in, in chapter 9, verse 6, uh, excuse me, verse 9, um, that is the, your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. So this is, this is what has been given for us to do. And, and let's not rail against it, uh, but you know, in a sense sort of lean into it. You know? By the sweat of your face you'll eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, you are dust, and to dust you shall return but it's not the end of the story. Mm. Yeah, I, I like that idea of leaning into it to receive this as a gift from God, and this is something that the Christian can do, recognizing his his place, that I, I am not God. God is the one who will deal with—to try to tie some of these things together we've talked about in this text— God is the one who will deal with the injustice that I see in the places where I'm expecting to see justice and righteousness. God's going to deal with that, I recognize who I am as his creature. Life comes as a gift from him, and one day that life under the sun, it will be gone. So what do I do now? Well, rather than, than striving to be something that I'm not, rather than striving to be like God, rather I can receive the work that he has for me as a gift right now and, and leave the rest, and, and in fact all of it, into, into his hands. And there, there's the true joy that, that a Christian can actually have. Amen. I, well, you you tie that up tight as a bow. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, what you you mentioned the word eternity, and that that made me think again back to the previous text where where Solomon talks about God putting eternity into man's heart, but but you can't find it out quite, you know. And and so all of this really can only come together when we find our right place within this, which is as God's creature. And, and when I am His creature and He is God, then things do fall into place. And, and it's when I try to step outside of that created order that God has given that everything is just vanity, because I, I see that I, I can't do anything about it, and I'm, I'm hopeless. It's only when I find that place as, as God's creature and Him as the creator, the giver of life. And then, of course, all the, the good news about the giver of eternal life as well, that's where things really start to, to be joyful for the Christian. But outside of it, it's just, just vanity. You know, in the Lutheran Study Bible, uh, we named everything LSB, right? In the Lutheran Study Bible, they have a quote from uh, the American edition, uh, edition of Luther's works, you know, volume 15, where he's talking about this. You know, And he's saying that in Ecclesiastes, it teaches, brother, that the plans and undertakings of men in their dealings with creatures all go wrong and are in vain. If one is not satisfied with what is presently at hand, but wants to be their master and ruler for the future, well, that's how it all goes wrong, backward, so that a man has had nothing but wasted toil and anxiety, Things turn out anyway as God wills and purposes, not as we will and purpose. You know, really insightful uh, perspective. You know, the, what is it? The, the, the plans of mice and men, right? That's right. 
That's right. That's right. So Solomon then turns the, a bit of a corner in verse four. Things these things are related, I think, as he he starts to reflect on the matter of oppressions done under the sun in chapter four. So take us into to four verse one. What is what is Solomon saying there? He's he's really saying that, you know, with without being able to see uh, over the horizon, right? Without being able to see into the kingdom of the S O N, uh, we we fall into such great depression. Uh, again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun, right? It is a, a whole creation subjected to original sin uh, with sins committed each and every day, each and every moment. And he says, and behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. Now, I think it's sort of interesting and I tried to do my uh, grammatical constructions. I'm not as, as gifted as some in the Hebrew. Um, but, you know, we have this, the tears of the oppressed, and there was no one to comfort them. And we sort of naturally reading in the text, and I think this is still appropriate, you know, on the side of their oppressors there was power, and then we turn back to, and there was no one to comfort those ones who were oppressed. But I think also the, there, there is a rightness in the perspective of this idea of vanity. On the side of the oppressors, there was power, you know, which people hunger for and think that they're going to just have everything that they need if they have just enough power. And the reality that we come to find is that there's no one to comfort them. Power is not the end of it. You know, Money, possessions is not the end of it. Lording it over people is not the end of it. There is no comfort in the, in the things of this world. The, the only true comfort we have comes from well, the one who gives the peace the world cannot give, right? And that's our Lord Jesus Christ. So naturally reading, it, we, we have this focus on the, the oppressed and that there's no one to comfort them. But in truth, even those who, who are the oppressors who are exercising this power, this authority, well, there's no comfort in exercising that power and authority abusively. Uh, and there's no actual, you know, ontological comfort in just purely the exercise of power and authority. Uh, comfort only comes uh, from our Lord Jesus Christ. Hmm. You know, I, I wondered about the same thing looking at the English text, and I don't, I don't have the Hebrew in front of me, so I can't really comment one way or the other. It does, based on some commentaries that I looked at, it, it seems that most take those two, or that repeat, they had no one to comfort them, as referring, referring in this passage, at least, to those who are oppressed, which I think makes sense. Having said that, I think what you're saying is is very true, scripturally speaking, and even in the book of Ecclesiastes, that regardless of whether you are the oppressor or the oppressed, either way, there's not going to be comfort in, in that, right? There's no comfort in the power that the oppressor has, because as Solomon's been saying, you're going to die too. I mean, so I, again, I'm not sure whether or not the which way the grammar goes here, and from what I read, it seems that they, they take, most commentators take that as a repeat but I think your point stands that the oppressor with the power, life under the sun, that power ultimately is meaningless. You know, I mean, so I think I think that point stands either way. Yeah, you know, Solomon's talked about it. He's he, I, I have all this, I have all these authorities. I have all these wives and these concubines. I have all this wine, this field. I've built these towers. I've built these fountains. I've built these fields. And what does he come back to every single time? All of its vanity, right? So these things themselves. Uh, do not bring that comfort, um, and and 
but but yes, the natural reading, uh, and 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 almost every translation you can find is going to use the referent back to no one to comfort them, referring back to uh, to those who are oppressed. Right, right, and I think that you know that fits in well with the thought of three sixteen that in these places of justice and righteousness, there's wickedness. Now. Verses 2 and 3, especially, of, of chapter 4, are where the, the text takes another turn that maybe is unexpected. Solomon, seeing that there are these oppressors, there's no one to comfort those who are oppressed, what, what does he say in verses 2 and 3? Well, you know, as the world keeps getting weirder and weirder, with and, and, and we draw nearer to the end of the age, right, with wars and rumors of wars, with earthquakes, with tempests, with all these things— and we know that all of creation is just literally going to fall apart and be completely unhinged on the last day. Um, I think if if you and I live to see that day, we will we will echo here Solomon's words: "The dead who are already dead are more fortunate than the living who are still alive, because this is a scary world and things are just going off the rails." And, and so there is a certain reality to this. And you know, even even this, um, you know, in in Philippians. Uh, you know, we, we have St. Paul, you know, I, I, where he says in the first chapter, you know, I'm hard pressed between the two. You know, my desire is to depart and to be with Christ for that is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. And that kind of puts us then back, you know, no matter what we're facing, even, even as we are struggling and saying, I just, I don't want to be around here anymore. You know, the, the, the ones who are dead, that's, that's way better. You know, we still, we lean into that work. We do that toil for the days the Lord has appointed to us because this is our lot. But this is, this is actually, this is a good thing. We remain in the flesh because it is, it is necessary according to the Lord's plan. And his plan is perfect and his plan is always good. Uh, and so we, we then rely on the Lord to look and care for us. You know, you remember your small catechism, you know, thinking back to the beasts and man, they were all the same, you know. The eyes of all look to you, O Lord, and you give them their food at the proper time, right? You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. Uh, but how more will he satisfy us in his son, Christ Jesus? So even though we have to endure for the time uh, the, the, the wickedness and the uh, f- corruption under the sun, S-U-N, um, while we remain in the flesh... Uh, is, is necessary until we are called to live under the S-O-N eternally. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, so again, we want to keep verses 2 and 3 of chapter 4 in that proper perspective, what is observable life under the sun, the sun in the sky. There is a lot of trouble, oppression, heartache that comes in this life, and and to recognize that and to mourn that is a, a natural reaction life under the S-O-N, that heavenly perspective that God gives to us in his word. I'm reminded of what Paul talks about in Philippians chapter 1. He says, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Yes, there is there is gain in death and as for the Christian, but the Christian. that doesn't mean life is bad. Life is Christ, he says. Amen. And yeah, you know, so, like this, this, these last verses um, can really sort of echo, and, and, and I think that's part of it to give voice to what we might be afraid to voice aloud ourselves, uh, especially if, if we struggle with depression and anxiety. Uh, we may come to that point where, you know, verse 3, better than both is he who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. You know, we might really have that. But here 
we have the, the Holy Spirit working through Solomon to let us give that out, to get it out, to get those words and speak them aloud, to drag them out of the darkness of our heart and into the light of Christ. And, and to say, yes, you know, we, we better than, it does feel this way when the world is so under the sun. And I'm, and I'm one of those whose tears are just streaming down my cheek. And, and then I remember in Romans chapter 8, what a wonderful book. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Should tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or anything under the sun? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. It is our lot, right? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers, right, nor the place of justice, the place of righteousness, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation nor anything else under the sun, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I, I really appreciate the way that you, you brought this out as a as almost a prayer then that Solomon is uttering here, things that seem like, oh, I, I could never say that out loud. I certainly wouldn't want God to hear me say things like that. But to recognize this as a, a prayer then in line with so many other prayers in the Scriptures is, you know, that's the Christian giving voice to, to these things before God, so that we can then hear his answer from that perspective of life under the sun, the S-O-N, as you said so well in Romans chapter 8, there's the perspective, there's where God gives us hope to us as we live under the sun, this observable life, we have hope in the Son of God, Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank you for that, Pastor Gribbenau. Pastor, we've, Pastor run out Doug, of, we've run out of text, haven't we? <laughs> we've run out of text, and we've, we've really well run out of time, and I think that, oh, again, no. that text from Romans 8 really wraps things up for us, Pastor Grebenau. Pastor Doug Grebenau is Mission Advocate for KFUL Radio in St. Louis, Missouri. You can also catch him when's the, the after, afternoon music block. It's in the afternoon. All right, you ready for the radio voice? The afternoon music block heard weekdays, Monday through Friday, 1 p.m. to 3 p.m. Central Time on KFUO Radio. <laughs> so, so yes, if you want to hear some lovely hymns, psalms, and spiritual songs, I, I'd love for you to join me. We always begin with, with a prayer, and, uh, and and then we confess the, uh, the Apostles' Creed in the middle, and then we close with the Lord's Prayer. And uh, so I, I and, and of course, if you tune in on Fridays, I'm going to tell you you got to go to church, right? It's a, it's a pastoral encouragement, all right? <laughs> but right. so tune in on Fridays if you want a little extra encouragement for the old Adam to get out of bed on a Sunday. <laughs> Pastor Gribbenau has been helping us today to study Ecclesiastes chapter three, verse sixteen through chapter four, verse three. Pastor Gribbenau, thanks so much for joining us this morning. Thank you for having me here, brothers and sisters. God's peace be with you all. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you have any questions about this section of Ecclesiastes, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. It's always a joy to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow. <laughs>